Recording started. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you to this week's Matrixit discussion group call, as in exiting the matrix. From tactical sovereignty, like I always say, the beautiful first day of the week, not the seventh, not the Sabbath. And well, what things are and are, are not, well, that's kind of something we're going to be getting into tonight. We're going to be discussing equity. And I've got a friend of mine, um, L, here with me this evening. And she is calling in over her phone due to bandwidth. But since that's the case and she cannot uh, be here on video, uh, you can see her on the video looking over my shoulder right here. That is Vitell. <laughs> so anyway, welcome this evening. And Vitell, uh, why don't you start out and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hi, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I, don't, I don't really know what to say about myself other than um, I am a child of the Most High, a daughter of the Most High, and it's taken me many years to figure out what that means in relation to my life, and um, I'm just here spiritually in this incarnation to bring about as much truth as I can, and it started internally. Um, it started kind of externally, actually, like the book of Job, where he gets attacked and all this bad stuff happens. That was kind of what awoke me to the fact that um, I was living in an illusion and couldn't see what was actually going on in the world. And like any good mom or dad, our creator sends uh, the adversary to kind of slap us around a little bit uh, to discipline us so that we run back to his throne to figure out who we are. Absolutely. And, you know, when you say running back to his throne, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in life and um, especially, you know, if you just ask something from the creator, you know, that's not really good enough. It needs to come from deep within your heart. It has to be very well meant. And if I've noticed that you ask him, you know, to give you wisdom and to teach you things, he will put you in a position to where you can learn things and that very often means getting rid of a lot of the distractions of the world and i've noticed other people as well that for them it might even mean them spending 10 15 years in prison that puts them on their butt where they have nothing to do but study and if those events didn't occur uh, a lot of people wouldn't be able to come forward with very much information just because you know they're too distracted and so we, we need to be careful sometimes what we ask for because we very well may get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know. Thankfully, I wasn't one of those people. I did get put in adult timeout, though. I had everything taken away. And I was so just so desperate for the truth. Just like, where's the truth? Where's honesty? Where's compassion? Where's real community? Like, what is going on? that um, I've been very blessed to have the last three years to just um, live off of all of the labor that I had previously to spend this time uh, to really get to know my creator as well as the various different um, kind of systems, if you will, that are compartmentalized within this big, huge conglomeration of life. Uh, yeah, and compartmentalized. <laughs> Um, doesn't even begin to spell it out, I think. Because I've had a lot of people ask me, well, 
what should I read? And it's like, well, it depends on what you're trying to find out, what you're trying to learn. They don't produce really a single playbook for you, you know, where you can see everything that's been done and how it's been created and, how, and what it's being used for. That just doesn't exist. So, yeah, your reading and research has to be compartmentalized as well. Uh, and speaking of which, actually, this last week, I put out an article on WordPress. Um, I believe it's six points uh, to it. And it's really compiled of the things I mentioned back in the video, correcting the presumption of status. And what I did is I took those points that I'd mentioned in that video and I put them in writing and showed what to do, provided links and things like that. Because nothing like that has ever been provided anywhere. In fact, it, that's the type of thing I was looking for years ago when I first started searching. You know, I think we all want to find that one form where you sign on the dotted line and all of a sudden you're free. Well, it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> because through life, there's been many steps where we've been kind of tightening the noose around ourselves. And which means going back and undoing some of those contracts or amending them or changing some of those contracts, or maybe even writing brand new contracts, maybe even creating your own illegal person and putting theirs on the shelf. But though, there's a lot that you had to learn along the way. And uh, but it's one of those things we're going to discuss tonight that is really good to know is really how the courts got formed and what the equity courts are, which started from chancery courts, uh, how they relate to statutory or common law and that kind of thing. So I think I'm going to turn that over to L if you want. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Actually, thank you uh, for all everything that you do for people who want to learn that you give it away for free in your group and uh, your extensive research. I, I really appreciate that about you. Um, so, in this world, there are so many different laws, right? You have the IRS codes, you have the United States code, the uh, rules of procedure, um, state, state laws, constitutions. So, the question comes down to the beginning of just where, what is jurisdiction, right? Who has the authority to do what, where can they do it, and based on what law? And um, for those who, like for me, it took a really long time to start to unravel these pieces, right? Um, you know, you have your states and then they opt, then the state ofs. And, and, and um, so as I started to learn more about the law um, <clears throat> in Latin, um, I started to, to, to really start, I, that's when I really started to read the Bible. I was really desperate. Um, I, I wasn't raised in a church, so I didn't have any indoctrination or any preconceived ideas. And through reading all of the other codes, because I've read massive codes, UCCs and Federal Reserve books and all sorts of stuff, um, I realized that everyone has to have power and has to come from somewhere. And so um, there was a man by the name, he goes by him, um, he was talking about exclusive equity. And he always had such static and I really couldn't comprehend what that was because I hadn't been introduced to it. However, I did read in the scriptures where it talks about like in Psalm 98, that the world will be judged with justice, but the people, people will be judged with equity. 
And as I started to study the Bible more, because the Bible is a law book. It's a commerce book. It talks about inheritance. It talks about land. It talks about bonds, um, suretyship, wills, trusts. So I, I started to get into trust. Uh, I, that was when I wrote Robert Michael. And um, then the question is, is I started to be like, okay, well, how do these trusts operate? And I, that was when I learned that there's different kinds of trusts. And so <clears throat> not to be too long-winded, um, I started to study the jurisprudence of the American, you know, American jurisprudence, what the systems of law based in America, the union states as well as the state of are based on. And um, I got turned on to uh, a chancellor, um, a book that he wrote uh, called A Treatise on Seats and Chancery. And I, I, a friend of Lex and I read it, like made an actual audio book of it. And a lot of the language, I just didn't know what they were, maxims and all that. So I had to study more. And so as I followed it back further, it goes all the way back to the time of Rome, right? Like when, Ro when Rome was occupying Israel and uh, the Messiah was around. Um, and how the praetors out of Rome, because Rome had a republic, right? And it was based on their form of equity, okay? And then as they moved across and conquered Europe, they brought, um, they brought the form, their forms of adjudication. And in England, uh, there was a common law. And the common law, like, uh, according to Blackstone, was always the Bible. Well, the Bible, um, the, uh, back then, the common law was basically like, we have these remedies over here. We don't care what your rights are. We don't care if you've been wronged. If they don't fit over here, then we can't help you. And the only thing that they could do with that was to provide uh, like compensation with money. They couldn't prevent ills from happening or, or courts from taking jurisdiction. And so the kings, what they did is then they became, you know, the kings were considered the, just, uh, the fountain of justice. And they adjudicate their realms based on their laws. And so um, that was what it was. You know, there, you had different branches in England. You know, you had the admiralty, and then there was the divorce courts and probate. Those were one. And then there was the common courts, and there was uh, the chancery court. And the chancellor was ecclesiastical, political, and civil. He, the, the chancellor had to know both sides. So um, that was where the jurisprudence of America's uh, foundation is. And so um, as the colonists came over here and the private proprietors to set up the plantations over here, um, they, they set up uh, equity courts as well as common law because they really adjudicate on different matters. So like say someone has a claim like, hey, you've trespassed or, or you've done this, you know, someone's been wronged in some way they handle different classes, classifications of rights. So depending on if someone just wants to get money, they can go to common law and at law and get it adjudicated. But if they want to deal with issues of property and how they want restitution that way, it adjudicates on that. So that was the foundation. And then, then the Judicature uh, Act happened. Hey, yeah. And what they did was, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Before we go into that act, uh, because I mean, I, I, even in regular life, I run into a lot of people 
that are lost when you say things like adjudication or whatever. So um, I want to give people a definition of adjudication. Hey, and I'll just let everybody Thank know, you. because people ask this question all the time. You know, what dictionary should you use? You know, what legal dictionary should you use? Uh, generally, just for starting out, I stay with Merriam-Webster's 1828, because you're getting back closer to the date of when a lot of things were written. I believe the Supreme Court even uses it. But when it really comes down to it, with various laws, code, or whatever that's written, the only dictionary that really matters is whatever those people were using. So if you're able to find that out, that's the best dictionary to use. But just in a general sense, I suggest staying with um, the Merriam-Webster's 1828. And adjudication uh, is listed in there as an official de decision made by the judiciary. Okay. Now, it does... Because it has the word adjudicated, it doesn't mean it only has to come from a judiciary. Um, a school board can even adjudicate a decision. That's the way it's commonly used today as well. But that's what adjudication is. Adjudication means that an official decision has been made regarding a specific issue. And um, as long as I'm going over that and we're talking about equity, let, let me give you what Merriam-Webster's 1828 says about equity. It is a system of law originating in English chancery, comprising of procedural and legal rules and doctrines that aid or override common law and statute law. And people need to realize that within uh, equity, as, as far as remedy goes, there, there's three basic types of remedy that is shown within um, equity law. And those would be one, uh, specific performance, two, injunctions, and three would be restitution. I think a lot of us are familiar with restitution and didn't realize that that is part of equity law. <clears throat> but there's also many other things and that fall under laws of equity. And I'll just run through a short list of those as well because I know for sure that it all is going to bring up at least a couple of these. But equitable relief is also found through estoppel, the doctrine of clean hands, doctrine of latches. I think people have heard me speak about the doctrine of latches before. Um, the an order of partition, um, rescission, injunctions, declaratory judgments, and restraining orders. And the majority of maxims actually rest in laws of equity. Go ahead, Al. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thank you for that. I like John Bouvier. So John Bouvier says that equity is the soul and spirit of the law. And law is nothing without equity. And equity is everything even without the law. Because equity deals with the substance, not the form. And so um, there are three heads to equity. Um, the English and the American, because uh, American inherited the, juris, uh, the jurisprudence of equity from England, altered it. And then um, prior to 1933, when they, did the when they um, changed the monetary system, they had to write uh, a way to make legal determinations so that whenever they did make those changes, that the courts could 
know how to move forward based on that. And so um, you have exclusive or inherent equity, concurrent and auxiliary. But there's also Roman equity. So technically there are four. And so um, as I studied, as I started to study equity, I was like, okay, what are maxims? And I realized that uh, the maxims is people don't know what a maxim is. It's like the courts have been running for, we don't know how many thousands of years, you know, but um, when something has been determined over and over and over again, that they don't need to be proved. They've been proven enough. These are known. Everyone accepts them. They're binding on the judges. This is what a maxim is. And uh, equity maxims, there are 20, some say 19, but there are 20. And all laws come out of that. And they, they, they trickle down through that. And um, so I started studying that a whole bunch. And what was interesting is you've mentioned the doctrine of latches, the doctrine of clean hands, conversion. Well, all of those go back to the Bible. And so for me, I was lucky because I wasn't indoctrinated. I had like, you know, I didn't have to like reprogram my brain to read it. And so um, that was where for me, I'm like, okay, so now we're looking at a different jurisdiction of law. Because, like, say someone gets pulled over with a traffic ticket, right? They get an infraction, which is actually a bond that's based on the state. And the state gets its authority from where? And where is the nexus between the man and woman with the state, right? Or where is the man and woman in nexus to the Bible, you know? So it's really about where someone chooses to come from you know which jurisdiction that they want to come into and that's the part where you know if you go back there there have been anal, uh, analysis that even the foundation of the united states code like 67 percent of the laws that are put on the books for the united states comes from the book of deuteronomy like you have to have two witnesses the uh involuntary manslaughter bribery like they all go back to the bible and so, um, but that was the interesting thing because exclusive equity has, they call it the children of equity, okay? And it just so happens that um, one of them is trust, right? But really what was handled passed over to these court systems, okay? When people are reading in the Bible, this is the best. I laughed so hard at this. When I realized when they were talking about a temple, I'm like, what are these priests? What do the priests do? Well, they're working with the law of the creator, the righteous laws. This is how to live in harmony uh, with your family and how to interact with people who are strangers and not in a covenant trust relationship with you. And this is how, you know, and so it lays out all those things. But I didn't realize that the temple was a courthouse. And I'm like, they... Brian, they even had a food court. It's so great. It's so awesome. So um, uh, perfected equity was what had happened was, you know, um, there's a lot of power that comes along if you have a bunch of people that can't read or write. And men and women throughout time have been corrupted by the power and wealth and, and seeding off of the ignorance of people, uh, people unwilling to in the Bible, they're referred to as stiff neck. They just don't want to know the truth. 
And even though the creator sends outside forces like a, you know, like a mother eagle flapping its wings around, you know, bringing people in circumstances to get attention, some people's hearts just won't be changed. So um, it's, it's interesting to realize that, um, that equity itself is adjudicates issues. And you can read this in uh, Pomeroy, Norton Pomeroy. He wrote a six volume set called Equity Jurisprudence. There's Spence. Um, Phelps, so many equity writers from the you know 1800s, the early 1900s, um, uh, a treatise on suits and chancery uh, that equity deals with grace. So when someone's reading in the Bible, you know, grace, okay, like uh, Abraham found grace in the eyes of the Creator. Now you're talking about you know you're talking about like real true equity true equity that's based on the Bible, right? And um, that was one of the things the Pharisees and the scribes, the lawyers and the magistrates had locked out, and that's what the Messiah came to do. And uh, I hear people talk about grace, but I don't think that a lot of people realize that the Bible is a book on law, and everything in there literally deals with um, court cases, basically. And it takes someone to be able to decipher what it means because the creator always used nature, right? Because we can use our eyes to look out and be like, oh, hey, that's a mountain. And if I'm going to go to war, I'm going to be want to be up on top of the mountain because I can see what's happening, right? So, and how that, com how it comports over to the Bible is like when he talks about like the Sermon on the Mount, he wasn't like standing on top of a mountain. He was at the highest jurisdiction. And the Messiah was constantly holding court cases. That's what he was doing. But he was, uh, he was using authority and power that, um, that had been locked out to the people and they weren't teaching it anymore. And that was the, the switch with the, uh, like when he came um, during the time of the Roman occupation that uh, the priesthood got, because when you have a new king, you bring in new laws, right? And um, he, he basically came back and said, no, I didn't come to abrogate the laws or the prophets because the prophets are people who speak the word of the creator that's written in the scriptures. He said, I came to fulfill them. And so he renewed the covenant and then he went on to expound on certain matters that their teachers were teaching wrong about like, you know, adultery and revenge and stuff like that. So he expounded on that. El, so El, can we I chat about that? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. I, okay. I, I mean, since, over here. I don't know, since we're bringing up uh, Yeshua, Jesus, and, and uh, you mentioned the statement of him saying that he came to fulfill the law. I, I've always thought that people kind of look at that statement a little incorrectly. Uh, maybe wrong, maybe right, I don't know. But I think a lot of times when people see it as he came to fulfill it, <clears throat> that that fulfilling of it meant him coming and being the sacrificial lamb. Well, the way I see him fulfilling it is we have to realize that a lot of words don't mean exactly what we think they do, especially today with our 20th century eyes trying to read what the meaning of a first century word or term is. You know what I mean? And to me, for him to fulfill the law, like you said, the people were not following 
uh, the laws and precepts, concepts that have been put forward, you know, through time, even by the prophets. And so him fulfilling it was him coming back and putting those things back on the table again and saying, hey, guys, you got to get back on track here. Now, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I totally agree because the laws that are given, you know, like if you go back and you read the food laws, it's so that, and you and I have done a, a call on this on parasites. The creator is so magnificent in his design that he created animals that clean up all the nasty stuff from the environment. And so because we have this divine spirit in our temple right now, our bodies, we're supposed to keep them clean from the archons, from the parasites. So every law that he gave, you know, as, as I start studying them, I'm like, wow, this is just so amazing as I study the laws. And um, what had happened was Adam and all the people before who went into a blood covenant. See, that's, a, I think, a lot of, I just got into a discussion with someone on Facebook about this. He was like, wow, it really seemed like he, that God was blood hungry. And it's like, no, he was actually compassionate because there's this idea and it's called subrogation. And when the people with the deity, see, a covenant is different than a trust. Like a trust, if the purpose of the trust is fulfilled, the trust can, uh, you know, it can be settled and reformed or whatever. But a covenant is with a deity and it's forever. And um, so oftentimes in the Bible, you'll read King uh, Josiah or Hezekiah is like, and we found the law again, right? And they seek repentance of righteousness, grace, if you will, forgiveness, in a court not just sitting out in their house, not in some weird building over there collecting money, but actually in an actual court. And um, then their kingdoms prospered or, you know. So, uh, but Adam and Eve or, you know, Adama, they, they went into this covenantal relationship and we weren't given all the details of the covenant back then, but they broke it. And so they were under a death penalty. And... Um, so that was the cool thing about the Messiah because he actually could claim the lineage of the actual kinghood and he was extraordinarily wealthy because he inherited all of the gold and stuff out of Egypt from the prophet Daniel that the Magi, the magistrate came and gave to him. And so what he did was if he chose, because a good king knows that his kingdom only prospers if the people who are subject to his laws are, have all their needs met and they're living in peace and <clears throat> so what he chose to do was he chose you know instead of and, and there was even the high priest at the time said it's better that one man die than all of us and he chose to subrogate because he wasn't under that death penalty he hadn't trespassed he wasn't a, like number one it loves the lord your god with all your heart mind and soul right well what is a god well if you look up etymology a god is someone who it's people like to think it's one deity, but it isn't. It's actually someone who is a Jew, who provides a law for him. Like, these are my laws. So, and that was why he said to Moses, they're going to look at you like you're a God. And later in the Bible, it says, for ye are gods too. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing, is figuring out whose laws we're going to follow. And so the Messiah, by doing that, he was able then to make a final atonement with the subrogation for the other people who spiritually choose to become underneath of that covenant again and to renew it, like Deuteronomy 17, 18 says. You know, right. um, we're supposed oh. yeah, oh. we're supposed to be a royal priesthood. Yeah. 
Uh, give us your definition of subrogation. <laughs> well, it's not my definition, but it's basically uh, if you have someone who's a debtor um, or standing in a position of surety where they they have to guarantee or grant her, if you will, and they have a duty and a responsibility, they can step into the, the foot of a creditor and they can call the bonds and stuff forward from their co-sureties. That's subrogation. It's like someone standing in, in place of... And they used to do that. In fact, people use the word straw man, right? And that actually goes back to England when, uh, when, say, a man would go off, he'd be sent off to a war or something. Oftentimes, he would use his son to step in his place. But this was this has been duty. used. <coughs> this has been used even more recently uh, within the USA after the Civil War. Um, I think a lot of people think that. The things that went on uh, during and prior to the Civil War with slavery uh, were such horrible acts. But they don't realize that the worst acts possible that happened to people happened after the Civil War during some of the uh, reconstruction of the laws. Whereas, uh, you know, they would have like the, the sundowner laws and things of that nature. And if someone... I would say maybe of color uh, was caught. Now think about the sundowner laws. Think think about the name of it. <laughs> uh, if someone was caught, for instance, yeah. selling something after dark, okay, um, they're kind of looked at as uh, the, the drug dealer on the street at night or something. You know what I mean? And that those people, those guys, would go and get maybe ten year sentences in prison, and maybe you know, have to even, well, not maybe, they would end up being um, now slaves of the state and, uh, you know, working on the chain gangs and that kind of thing. And what would happen is a maybe a rich landowner would step forward and say, listen, I'll pay the some certain or whatever costs are involved with the court case if you release that gentleman into my custody and he can come and work on my farm. And so that would be a case of subrogation there where that prisoner would now, he would in a sense be free, but now instead of working for the state, he's working for some rich landlord and he would have a contract with the guy. Hey, your sentence was 10 years. I got you out of there. How about if you work for me for five years? And that would take place then. Well, and that's basically what the Messiah did, because like it says, you can serve two masters. You can serve man and their laws, or you can serve the laws of the righteous uh, giver, the one law giver that there is. And that's, that, that's it. And servitude to the creator is basically uh, working to uh, further his kingdom by comprehending his laws and how to to move the courts and to do what we were what I was sent here to do. So well, that's a great all, analogy, Brian. All, all these things fall really under jurisdiction as well, and I've come across very many people who even ask me about jurisdiction. What is what's jurisdiction? It's it's new language, like you and I were talking prior to the recording. You know, you start stumbling on some of these things in the beginning, and it's like learning a brand new language, and, and indeed it really is. But if you go to Merriam-Webster's 1828 uh, for jurisdiction, it's essentially the power, the right, or authority to interpret and apply the law. 
And it is the law of a sovereign power to govern or legislate. Now, in that definition, it says that it is the authority to interpret and apply the law. I would add to it, it's also the authority to write that law as well. And so with jurisdiction, you'll see different things. I mean, people should have learned jurisdiction watching Law and Order or something like that, where uh, the sheriff's department is trying to investigate a crime and in the steps, you know, uh, maybe the state police and they want to take over jurisdiction. You know, it, they're, they're come, it's really in layers. And the best way to see it really is through rulership, as it mentions, you know, the, the rule of right. And um, mm-hmm. your rulerships, you can see that in like the legislative bodies, starting like with, you know, your county board of commissioners and your mayor. And then you're going to go up higher to the state, you're going to have your governor, and then it goes up even higher to Congress and the president. So those are all different layers there of jurisdiction or also uh, suzerainty. I recommend people look up the word suzerainty, which is, I think, a more accurate word to use really rather than sovereignty because that's an ultimate position. Um, I wanted to touch on the trial of Yeshua. Um, at the court with Pilate, because I think there's a lot of things people could learn there. I mean, if people, you know, in my opinion, if you get dragged into court, <clears throat> it's because you've missed a step along the way somewhere. They really shouldn't want you there, and you really shouldn't have a position to even be there. But if you are, I think it's good to look at some of the court cases that you find within scripture and the trial of Jesus was an excellent one. Um, do you have some things that you've seen in that trial that you, you want to talk about Elle, or no? Yeah, actually that one, it took me a while actually to figure out because when you were talking about jurisdiction, um, I really didn't comprehend jurisdiction to the depths that I do now until I met my friend Lex Mercatoria, who did the TJ challenge. And then it became clear to me, like, who has the right to to basically say, these are my laws that I get to enforce right here on this piece of land and where their power comes from. And so what was interesting is, is that um, you know, there were two different courts that were running kind of like there are now, right? And one of them was an ecclesiastical court and the other one was a civil court because, you know, that's also biblical. It's laid out back in De- Deuteronomy. And um, I, what I found really interesting is the fact that, like, um, no one actually wanted to, uh, to make any ruling or a decision in the case because they actually lacked jurisdiction. You know, um, that, that's what stands out the most. In fact, I have a PDF that I think it was like 36 lawyers today went through and ripped apart how they broke every single one of their law, their own laws in their jurisdiction when they actually brought him to trial. Like, <laughs> no, like no one was allowed to be arrested at nighttime to be tried at nighttime. You had to have two witness, two witnesses with that have outstanding character. Didn't have that. Um, they just, they were supposed to have a public hearing. They held it privately. And then, and then, um, yeah, and then of course they shipped him off, right? And this right. guy's like, this doesn't, this is your religious stuff, which a lot of people before, you know, I'd like to hear what you have to say, but 
I don't think a lot of people know that these courts out here are actually IRS determination. You can get an IRS determination. They're actually churches. They're 501c3s. So, you know, it's not any different than it was then. But what are yeah. your thoughts, Brian? <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, well, that's why I call uh, the courts uh, the county temple, you know, with the black robe priest there. Because I, mean, I, I think that that's just exactly what they are. They're, they're, they're collection points uh, for U.S. Inc. <laughs> and, yeah, it's interesting, yeah, that, you know, nobody really wanted to <clears> – <throat> be the one um, holding the hot potato when it came to the, the, the situation with Jesus and Caiaphas who was head of, yeah exactly because they knew they didn't hold jurisdiction you know so you had Caiaphas uh, from the uh, temple the high priest you know trying to pass it off to Pilate and then Pilate trying to pass it off to Caiaphas uh, incidentally Caiaphas it was his son-in-law um, a, a group, I believe, that was the one that tried the case with Paul. And mm. well, when, when you read it now, you know, you talk about dirty play. A, a lot of people want to say that the scripture is the inherent word of God. And inherent means no error, nothing wrong. Everything's exactly right. But we have to realize it was written by man. And it was written by men who wanted to slant things in their favor. Bottom line, it's just the way it is. And anybody that's heard me talk about Paul or any of these other things the past few weeks well, might think, oh, my God, he's an atheist. You know what? I'll tell you what. My relationship with the creator hasn't gotten stronger than it has since I've really started learning these things and studying it. Because it starts making a lot of things make sense. Uh, things that you think are contradictions in the Bible that you find really aren't contradictions. It's actually maybe referring to two different gods, uh, which is even telling to you in the Bible. It's told to you that that exists. But I found it interesting in the trial that one of the most famous situations there that, that people can recall would be uh, Pilate washing his hands of the matter. And the interesting thing, right, well, the interesting thing, yeah, clean hands, right, clean hands doctrine. Well, the interesting thing, and clean hands is an equitable um, cause, but the thing with Pilate washing his hands is that Pilate was Roman. He, he was head of, you know, the Roman occupation there at the time. He was the one trying that case. Mm -hmm. And washing of hands was not a Roman practice. That was a Jewish practice. So if anybody there washed their hands of the matter, it would have been Caiaphas because he was Jewish. Washing of hands would have been his custom, not the custom of the Romans or of Pilate. So right there you can see where there's a little tomfoolery going on in, in the writing of that story. And, and we should always keep our eye open for that kind of thing. That's a good point. Yeah. And yeah, it, so it, I, was, I was gonna say as far as as far as jurisdiction goes as well, I think the main types of jurisdiction people see in court today are personal, territorial, and subject matter jurisdiction. And there's additional ones that are used, and some of them even go into more really into federal court, but uh, things like exclusive or appellate, original, diversity of jurisdiction. 
concurrent jurisdiction and general and limited jurisdiction. And I think it's interesting. A lot of people want to know, like say that the phrase people throw around status correction. What do I do? What do I correct? Well, just listen to a judge when they are first talking to a defendant because he's going to tell you or she's going to tell you that judicial administrator will tell you what you need to correct because they're going to ask you, you know, um, what is your residence? How, how long have you lived at this residence? You know, uh, where, where do you work at? How long have you worked there? Um, do, do you have a bank account uh, you know, or pay taxes? They're going to ask you questions like that. And those things right there are setting up those three base points of jurisdiction that a judicial administrator has to establish, the personal jurisdiction, territorial, and subject matter. And I, so to me, I mean, so many of those things are right out there in our face, and somehow we miss them. But anyway, yeah, I, I thought that the situation with Jesus was a good example with looking at equity and their jurisdiction. Yeah, because they they locked it up. That's why he had to be sent back because there wasn't. That's why they didn't believe that anyone could come back from the dead because most people think like he was a zombie. That's what I used to think. I'm like, who are these freaks with like this zombie guy? And uh, but really, it, it has more to do being dead to the creator, right? Because it says you have to be born of the water, which is commerce, and you have to be born again of the spirit. Well, the spirit and soul of equity is equity. The spirit and soul of the law is equity. <clears throat> and as we go back to Psalms 9-8, it talks about equity. So um, one of the places that if people are interested in learning, I've mentioned books, but if you go to the constitution of the state and start, because it took me a long time to, to realize what are these judges doing? And of course, we have the book of judges in the back, right, after the king. Um, what what matters are they adjudicating? And the Constitution, like, I actually sent a, a message off to the uh, Chief Justice and got a message back from uh, the, the Secretary. Um, you can find which courts uh, adjudicate. And really, equity is in every law form. And so it has more to do with studying what actually equity is because it's a different form of law. It's like a whole different language. It's a whole different way of looking at how the world is actually truly ran. But you can find um, the rules of the court and who has the original jurisdiction and um, to adjudicate and, and stuff like that by looking at, um, by looking at the Constitution of the state. So um, I, I do highly recommend that anyone, um, as far as equity goes, and I'm really thankful for the few men and women in my, well, men, who have really just been like, just study the equity maxims because uh, all, uh, all of the rest of the law stems from that. And um, they're binding, you know, they, they bind the conscience of the judge. And it's the whole jurisprudence off of that. And uh, archive.org has a lot of incredible books that you can download for free to read and um, to, to start learning actually about the jurisprudence of equity. And which isn't, you know, it, it, it's statutory equity is running constantly. That's uh, a lot of people when they go into the courts today they think that when they're reading a statute that that's what's going on, but it's not really. 
um, that's not really what's going on. It's a form of Roman just Seville uh, equity that's running. But the biblical equity, I highly recommend uh, studying the Bible because equity maxims come from the Bible. There are cases that have been adjudicated. They just have to be able to be deciphered by comprehending. Like the famous one that everyone gets is the woman who was accused of adultery, right? And the Messiah was sitting there and he was holding court and her accusers brought, they came, you know, Hasatan in Hebrew means prosecuting attorney. So they brought her into accuser and um, inside of equity and biblical law, the woman and her offspring are considered the property of the man. Okay. Not property like I can abuse, but like precious commodity, you know, to protect it. It's a trust relationship where the man has the legal title and the woman has the equitable title in the relationship. It's an executory contract, actually. But um, they were accusing her, and he said he is without sin, cast the first stone, right? Well, basically, someone can't, they're not allowed to benefit or bring a cause of action if they don't have clean hands, if they're guilty of fraud or the same crimes. And so no one was in a position uh, no one had, I'm not, it doesn't expound on what they were guilty of, but they didn't have the right to bring a claim against her because they themselves had not followed the law. And so when he looks up, looks up, like probably had a hearing, right? Yeah, like, uh, in, in, you know, in, in camera, because he could see her, he's looking at her, he looks up and says, uh, where are your accusers, right? And she's like, well, there's none here because they didn't have they didn't have standing to bring a claim against her because they didn't have clean hands and he said well i won't accuse you either now he could have uh, because a judge does have the right sua sponte to to make determinations uh based on the law they're adjudicating but <clears throat> the creator is very merciful and gracious and forgiving for accidents mistakes and fraud and he just said to her just you know, go change your ways. Don't do it again. He, he granted grace, mercy. Yeah, he said, neither do I accuse you. Yeah, but he didn't. He, he, he chose to grant her mercy. Mm-hmm. And if people would just, you know, get humble, you know, there's a reason why these courts are here. And, and to ask for mercy, you know, like when you're accused of something, you're guilty, right? Breaking... Right. Like, how many people actually know the biblical law? You know, how many? So automatically, we probably trespass. So we, it says in the Bible to know, oh, man, n- no, not, oh, nothing to any man. Our duties and obligations are to our creator and to follow his laws. And, you know, most of the people standing in those courts are guilty of trespassing on the creator's laws. So asking for mercy can go a long way if it's authentic, you know. They're not just going to, but it's worked. It's worked for so, people. I think, uh, I think a few years ago, if I remember right, it was Boris was, was actually talking about that situation at the well. <clears throat> and uh, in the story, oh, uh, okay. Yeshua kneels down and he starts writing something with his finger in the sand. But Scripture doesn't say what it was. And I remember, I think it was Boris. He just kind of hypothesized that maybe Yeshua was writing down the names of all the women that the accusers were guilty of being with. 
<laughs> right? It could have been, yeah. And that's interesting you bring up well, too, because that's the other thing. You know, the Bible at this point, it's a, you know, they don't want commoners to be able to read it. So it's encoded in, like, it's a good way if you want to actually decode the Bible to get a black Law Dictionary and, like you said, the Webster's, because Webster was uh, the 1828, because he was a biblical scholar, and to hold them next to each other, because water isn't like H2O that you drink, it's a commodity. So whenever you hear about, like, a well, living water, it's, again, nature and an allegory and how it relates to quartz, right? So that's one of the things that I learned because I studied under this guy, Nehemia Gordon, who's profound. Um, he, he was raised a Karaite Jew, and he knows Hebrew. And so an idiom, like we say, oh, I, I remember that by heart. Well, in Hebrew, what that means is putting it in your mouth. So anytime you, they're eating something, it means that they're remembering something. And uh, I also didn't know that whenever <clears> – <throat> Someone goes into a, a contract, whether it's a covenant, whether it's a trust, whatever, that's referred to as eating together. So like the Last Supper when he sat down and he distributed it out as a state before they knew he was going to be prosecuted, he uh, ate with them. So that's basically, he came to a, probably a, a meeting of the minds, an agreement, and a contract, right? Because right. then he granted the powers over to them. For his well, probably as a state, you know, and also at the same time, whenever it talks about the breaking of bread, um, mm -hmm. uh, I guess to use the word warfare is maybe a little severe, but it's maybe talking about yeah, they were coming to or talking about points of conflict, it is what that mm -hmm. refers to when they talk about breaking of bread, you know. So when that, people break bread together, right? So when people are breaking bread together. They're coming together and saying, here, dude, I've got a problem. How are we going to work this out? And they come to an agreement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the interesting thing, too. Like, as I, because it was funny, like, right around the time that I first met you, I met Robert Michael, and I was like, it always says in the Bible, put your trust in me. I was like, I don't even know what a trust, I had no idea what a trust was. I just wanted one. And someone had invited me to his group, uh, Truth and Trust, and we started interacting immediately. And so it took me a while to figure that out. And well, it, the, so let's look at it like this. A trust, which is kind of what the covenant is, right? A trust has rules, uh, rules. it has laws, like in the Bible. And it's called, the, the, the body of a trust is called the corpus. It's a body. And so um, oftentimes the transliteration and translators um, will say flesh, when maybe it should say body, instead of just thinking like physically, right? Because the Hebrews know there are four levels of interpretation of the scriptures. And so when we're looking at it as a financial uh, book, when you sometimes to eat, put in your mouth, right? Like you remember to eat the flesh, maybe it's eating the body of the actual trust, what's written in it, maybe not being actual cannibal. You know what I'm saying? Right. That, that's uh, the use yeah. part. That's the right of use. The use of the res or the property of the trust. Yeah, yeah, that's where you get into the fruits of the spirit, right? The use of trust. It's, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think and there's the even scriptures just packed full of so much stuff like that. 
that if we realize a lot of these code words, in fact, I recommend people, you know, get a little book or something and write down some of these code words so that when you're going through scripture, you can look at those other code words and see whether or not they fit. And uh, very often it'll start making some different scriptures make a whole lot more sense than they made before. Exactly. I actually write it in the Bible. My Bible, I'll write it in there. One of the biggest ones, the, there were two words that like absolutely changed my whole comprehension, right, of the Bible. So like, you know, you hear about acts and deeds, right? When I started to learn about land conveyances, inheritances, and stuff like that, I'm like, hey, this is a deed. <laughs> this is an actual deed, like they recorded the county, right? Well, that was a huge epiphany. And the other one is anytime when you look at the etymology of the word faith, it means trust. It actually is a trust. And it has yep. members, members, covenantal members. We're supposed to be in covenantal relationship with our creator who gave us the rules, the laws to live in a righteous, holy society where our bodies are clean, our relationships are good, how we interact with the world is is peaceful and prosperous. Mm -hmm. So those words really, those words really, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. The Bible is so cool, man. It talks about crystals and essential oils and high tech. And just one more thing real quick, Brian. Spike, spike so, nerd. Uh, I love my spike nerd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so, the, uh, so the book of Revelation, right? So when you, you start to realize, okay, this book is about law, it's about equity, it's about uh, court hearings, and you got your judges. Well, you hear about seals, right? Well, that's private. It's put under seal. What did Messiah do? He ripped all those seals off in the book of Revelation. And every time he ripped a seal off, a plague happens, right? And, and the seals, private seals. And anyone who um, has been into any kind of equity hearing knows that sometimes it's put under seal. What was there? Seven seals that he ripped out. He had to rip apart to come out of the tomb. Right. There's seven of them. Yep. Probably in probate. I'm just going to say that out loud. <laughs> well, I, I had an interesting conversation uh, with Micah Dank today about something that I've had in the back of my mind for a while. And last night I started looking up scriptures and they were all just falling right in place with the idea that I had in my mind, because we know so much of this um, comes really out of Egypt as well, because before Rome went into Jerusalem, they had first gone into Egypt. And then from Egypt, mm -hmm. they, they, they went into Jerusalem and you'll notice that cultures will always pick up little bits and pieces of other cultures that they take over. Um, if you look today, take a look at the Vatican and look at the Pope, and it, there's a lot of Roman symbology, you know, that came from Egypt and that came from Jerusalem, you know, right, right down to the little skull cap mm -hmm. that he wears. Uh, that, that, and that skull cap, that little round disc yeah. they wear on their head, um, it's called a skull cap actually because it used to come, it used to actually be a piece of a actual skull and that they would go and Ooh. drink maybe their communion or whatever out of it. But anyway, I was, I was talking yeah. to Mike Dank and I was talking about, um, that you read 
that God's throne is in the north. It's in the heavens. It's above us. And the earth is his footstool. Mm-hmm. And yes. you stop and stop and position yourself at the throne of God, looking down at earth, and look at what the sun does. Mm-hmm. It, it comes up from the east. Now, in Hebrew, that, that word east means essentially the beginning. All right? That's what their word, mm-hmm. the word mm-hmm. for east meant, is the beginning. That's why it's used for Eden and east of Eden. And the sun, S-U-N, or S-O-N, because the sun for Egypt was a god to them. So the sun comes up in the east, which would have been coming from the left-hand side of the throne and passing by, doing its work that the sun, S-U-N or S-O-N, was to do during its time. And then it goes down, it sets in the west, it sets on the right-hand side of the throne. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I just find little things you know, like that pretty fascinating. Yeah, I love Micah Jenks' work, man. Absolutely love it. But, um, you know, it's interesting about equity, too. You know, the woman at the well, the woman that was actually at the well, she's like, he told me everything about my life. He knew everything, right? Like, he has her whole life. He has the file to her entire life, everything she's done because of the watchers, right? They watch us all. And the cool thing about equity courts is they can move, you know, imagine it's heavenly right up above, right? It's the highest, it's spiritual, ecclesiastical law, right? They, the equity courts can reach down and they rip out the heart. Uh, Cause you know, a lot of fraud happens in these other courts there. It's not what's fair, right? And just, it's all technicalities. That's Roman. That's Roman by nature, <clears throat> procedures and technicalities, and you got to have your seals. And equity is not like that. Equity is like it doesn't matter about the name; it's about the substance, right? Which right. they know who we are based on our, our blood. But equity is super cool because it can, it know, it can, it can look and peer into the law, but the law can't peer into what equity is doing. And so that's a, a, another allegory when I think about that. Like when we think about jurisdictions of law, you know the heavenly law, at least here in the realm, would be, you know, inherent ecclesiastical equity, perfected equity, which is what Messiah did. And um, it looks down on the earth. Because earth, you know, is often an allegory for flesh, which is cardinal, which isn't uh, the man who, or man being man and woman, who have spiritually ascended to realize um, really that this is a spiritual training ground and who we are and what we're supposed to actually be doing, you know? Absolutely. And, so, you know, um, it's, as far as form and substance, to give people uh, maybe a visual idea of form and substance, and I'll use, like, the birth certificate, for instance, because this is something that has been said many times. It is totally untrue. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, they talk about, oh, copyright. The Crown's got a copyright on the uh, birth certificate. And, and therefore, they've got a copyright on your name. Here's the thing. Here, here's a visual to comprehend form and substance. That birth certificate, that form, was blank at one time. When it was created, it was created to be blank because... Copies of that would hold information on lots of different things that were going to be happening 
into the future that were all fairly unrelated to each other. And so whoever drew up that form, that document, that blank document, they held a copyright over that blank document. Now, later on, information was written onto that blank document, and that information that was written onto it is substance. All right? So there's the two differences visually between form and substance. Now, the copyright holder held a copyright on that blank form that they created to be used uh, multiple times into the future for multiple different situations. But they did not hold copyright to the substance that would be written onto it in the future. That's not the way copyright law works. So there's just kind of an example there of form and substance mm -hmm. and so yeah the equity looks more at the substance than it does at the form and it, exactly. with equity people need to realize you know people go into court and they walk away saying oh something was right or they say something was wrong and most of the time they're bitching because something was wrong but they they don't realize that the courts don't look at right or wrong they look at what's legal or illegal. And in the same way, mm -hmm. equity, equity doesn't necessarily look at moral and immoral. Equity looks at what is fair or what is impartial. Because what is fair to one person yeah. might not be fair to the other. And so you've got the magi, magistrate that stands there and kind of gives an overview of the situation and makes a determination from there. Um, uh, one of the things a lot of people, I think, ask is um, invoking equity in court. And my, myself, I, th I think if, you know, I were to go into court over a matter and I, I wanted it uh, to be done through equity, and I might do it, you know, as a moving party, I, I would probably do it as one of the forms that we know that are equitable, whether it's declaratory judgment, estoppel, um, doctrinal ashes, or uh, a, a suit and partition, something like that. And if I'm invoking one of those equitable means, I, then I know it would be equitable a proceeding moving forward, or it should be. Uh, how would you recommend to people to uh, invoke equity in court? Um, okay, so um, first of all, I don't give any legal advice, but what I would say is that um, I only give illegal uh, advice, FYI. <laughs> yeah, well, lawful. Okay, yeah, okay, so exactly. Well, so first of all, um, the court is the paperwork, and so it depends on the pleadings, right? Because equity can only adjudicate, whatever the word adjudicate, it can only look at it and it only has. It only has the power, the jurisdiction, to adjudicate. There's 30, 33 children of equity, okay? And so if someone is bringing a cause of action, you know, the, the, the paperwork that they fill out, um, it's going to have to reflect that so that when the clerk, whether you're sending it in privately or the clerk is looking at it, it like, there has to be equities on the face of it. So if it's like you're just trying to get some money or whatever, they're going to be like, yeah, there's an, there's an adequate remedy at law. We're going to toss you over here in a civil hearing. Now, equity only deals with property rights. That's it, property rights. And it's a different perspective. I highly, highly, highly recommend 
I read this the other night, you might have heard me on that small call we had, about comprehending how equity looks at what property rights are. Because see, equity is the foundation of creation of the, the righteous king, and then the Messiah was wa- walking, talking equity. So what, what are the rights? Do I have the right to move around? Do I have the right to my sense of smell? Do I have the right to work? Do I have the right to my person? Wait, is that my person or is that the state's person? You know what I'm saying? So in order to, to – he who seeks equity must do equity. So you've got to do what's fair, right, and just and conduct yourself in a way that's equitable. Like if you're going to bring a suit, you've got to give them notice and intention. You can't just ambush someone. You can't be going in and being guilty of the same thing. Like I stole a car and then this guy stole the car from me. You know, that's you don't have clean hands there. So you have to, like, on the face of it, and most of the time, you know, you're looking at petitions or bills as opposed to complaints. And so it really just depends on what you're putting in there. And, uh, you know, that's a treatise on suits and chancery. If you can wrap your head around that to begin with. I mean, it's I've been pounding at that book for a while. I'm just now really starting to get it. So that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you have to, to get have, what's please. fair right you go. Exactly. You, mm-hmm. you have to have clean hands. You can't come forward and say, oh, I know who robbed the bank. I know for sure who robbed the bank. You know how? Because I drove the getaway car. <laughs> you know, yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to add one, a couple more things, if you don't mind. Um, so you said the birth certificate. Okay. Those were considered unconstitutional a long time ago. It's the Towner Act, I think it's called the Towner Shepherd Act. People should go back and read that stuff. But people used to keep their private records in their family Bible. Private. In fact, the definition in Black's Law of a family Bible is where you have all your major family events. Um, When someone's born, when someone dies, when they have babies, and that, right? Uh, Certificates are are issued by trusts. That's what they are. And if you go into uh, United States Code 5, you'll see who issues those birth certificates. And the premise, and you know that I have so much gratitude to the man KW because I was doing so much research, and he took my research to a deeper level. Um, And I'm so thankful for uh, the research that he brought forth because it really helped me to comprehend, um, you know, probate courts. Like my one girlfriend, Lisa, I love her. She has proof that any time a birth certificate is issued that a probate case opens in a probate is approving of wills and in the bible it says i'm not i'm here to do the will of my father all these men over here they want to do their will they want to do what they think but i'm here to do the will of my father who's in heaven so i wanted to throw those little ideas out there so that um hopefully spiritually that will you know it'll hit someone in the right spot and like motivate them to get into equity and reach out to us because I'm so excited. I'm so thankful for the creator. It's so nice to finally find the law form, the rules. Like, this is how we're supposed to operate. It's so beautiful. People just spent – it's kind of weird, though, you know, like when it talks – when I first started reading the Bible, it's like, I don't even have an ox. Why do I I care about this ox if my ox falls into a ditch? And then, then I got to the principle. So that like like the law of restitution, right? So when you look at how the state operates, 
You ever notice a victim doesn't get paid anything? It's the state. Right. It has to do with, uh, you know, I wonder if that's because someone claims that you're a part of their parents' patchery family with that certificate. Just saying. Right, because but because it, it, you're it, you're up op, you're operating their person, and it was supposedly their person mm-hmm. that was harmed, and so therefore they you know get paid back. I, yeah, I think it's interesting mm-hmm. you mentioned the word father. It, you know, I had just maybe a short little epiphany. I don't know, but uh, the scripture says to do all things in my name, right? And Yeshua said, yeah. "I'm here to do the will of my Father." Well, if mm-hmm. you know says you know call no man your father why is that well because if you're going to say that i'm here doing the will of my father you don't want any ambiguity as to who that is because there is only one entity you call your father Mm -hmm. and people inherit they inherit from their father and that's why like you said it says you, you know you don't call any man on on the earth father you only have one and he's in heaven right right and um yeah it's it's really really actually interesting and it actually as far as doing things in the name and how that goes back to equity so the chancellors when they would issue writs so what would happen is the king would hand over his conscience like what was conscience to adjudicate matters um to the chancellor and the chancellor would do the writ in the name of the king and as we know that uh, Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, he was a king, truly. And we're still operating under Samuel, Samuel 8.1. There's still kingdoms. They've obfuscated it. There's still kingdoms. And the, the kings rule by their rules. And so that's why he said to do everything in my name. Because that's where we get our power from our creator when we are adjudicating, when we're bringing his laws. And saying, wait a second, hold up. The state of Ohio doesn't have a vagina. It doesn't own me. Like, I'm a spiritual being. Jeremiah 1.5, I knew you before I formed you and brought you forth from the belly, ordained and sanctified to preach unto the nations. And that's, if you want to map that to the UCC, that's a holder in due course. It's called a paramount claim because the real substance as the Bible says over and over again, don't eat blood. Do not eat blood. The life forces in the blood. And we all know about the codes, the RNA and the DNA. So that, that birth certificate is actually, and it's all biblical. It's all based on the blood covenant. That was the first one. And it was always the first one who's claiming it. And of course, now that we're dealing, we're back to the times of Noah and reading the book of Enoch, where they are literally taking the blood of men and women and trees and frogs and sharks and who who knows what else, and they're mingling it. And then they're making a claim because they don't have the creative force to create. They just have the way to alter it and make a claim to it. And that goes along with the biological warfare that they're injecting into people right now, too. Well, anyway. this this even is put right in front of our face. Um, I remember seeing a blood mobile from the Red Cross, and down the side of it, it said, "There is power in the blood." <laughs> but what, what you're talking, what you're really talking yeah. about too, is you're invoking your jurisdiction, because when it comes down to jurisdiction, you need to yeah. invoke yours. And and so when you know you're invoking that, you're you're showing where mm-hmm. your power comes from. 
and where you, where you're calling yeah, it out from that, as well. You're right, Brian. In fact, looking at bills in equity, there's a jurisdiction there. There's a jurisdictional clause that's a part of the bill or the petition, where you state this is the reason why this court has jurisdiction to adjudicate this matter, to actually listen to it and make a ruling over it, right? And we we walk around handing out jurisdiction. We we have to bring our law. That's why people say, um, you know, <clears throat> the people are sovereign. Okay, well maybe if they're uh, in suzerainty with the creator of all, right, whose law of course is the highest jurisdiction, they have that choice. And not sovereign, it's suzerainty, right? Like you said, you know, you can in fealty to the, the king of kings. And we do, we, we bring, and that's what the courts match. So like if someone's writing out a pleading, um, you know, you bring in a cause of action, like someone ran a, hit my car and, you know, I'm trying to get compensation. It depends on the law. So sometimes people will put constitutions in there and they'll, they'll do UCC 1308 or revised codes of whatever or code of federal regulations. And when someone cites the Bible, the different authors, it's just like doing that. You know, so Jeremiah 1.5, there's my law. Argue yeah. with it because it passes. And that's the, the federal rules of evidence, too. There's the hear, hearsay clause. So any documents over 21 years, go figure, uh, can be accepted. At, it gets through the exception clause for the hearsay rules. And, and you don't want to invoke... Uh, like United States Code and UCC, and then skip over to a passage in Psalms or Daniel, and then flip back again. No, yeah. if you have one form of law, you have one form of law, and you stick with it. Period. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. you're going to be looked you, at as insane. Yeah, you know, unless you do it the way the Messiah did. I really liked his example because he said, "Have you not read in the scripture, scriptures here, right here, right?" And does it not say in your own law? So basically what he does is when he, when he was finding that they were out of line, he was coming in at the highest, right? I'm bringing the highest right here. But then in yours, it also says this in, your, in conflict with that. As opposed to uh, commingling, it has to be very clearly delineated. Like, this is where I'm coming from, which that's scriptures and equity maxims. And these are your laws that you are in violation of as well. Exactly. Commingling is probably one of the highest forms of sin in today's realm as well. <clears throat> well, we've gone well, right over our, our mark. To... Oh, I could go on. Thank you so much, I know. Brian. I love I know talking you about this. I really, I really hope that it, we, through this talk, inspire people to um, really look at the jurisprudence of equity and pick up the Bible and throw out all the stuff they taught you before and be like, I'm reading a law book. I'm reading about inheritance. I'm reading about estates, trust, surety, wills, all of that. Absolutely. And like I said, uh, I'll get this uploaded to YouTube this evening. And if anybody, and I'm sure they will, and I'm sure we will have Ellen back again, uh, just make a comment in the section there on YouTube. Let us know what you thought. And if you have any specific things that you would like her or I to cover in the future, mention those as well.
But uh, like I tell people or try to remember to tell people every week that if you really want to start learning and really want to figure out, you know, a starting point for yourself, you need to learn three basic things. We need to learn who we really are, where we really come from and where we're really at, because those are the three things that we've mainly been deceived on. Thanks, Al. Well, thanks, Brian. Hallelujah. And we have you back on again, and I will try and open things up maybe for Q&A. We didn't really run into time for that this evening, but I'm sure a lot of people will have things maybe they want to ask about. So if that's the case, um, we'll do that maybe in a part two. How does that sound? That sounds good, Brian. Beautiful. Everybody have a wonderful week. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Brian. Bless you. Thanks, guys. Good night.